Previously on Girdemin Pause. One of the things also it has changed is that there is no, we have shifted from one vision of the future to a multiple of the futures. Like, for example, as I was telling you, somebody in Africa may not see the, his or her future as somebody in Japan, right? Or in the Middle East or in the north of Europe or in Canada, I don't know. We have to think about the possibility that there is not just one, but multiple possible futures. Today on Gigdemin Powers. Uh, because you know, science fiction itself uh, comes from the West. Um, during the early uh, 20th century, during the colonial period, uh, it spread all over the world uh, with this um, certain kind of imagination about um, modernization. So at that time, it's a like some product from the West. You are listening to Geekdom Empowers, the podcast about people empowered through their geekiness. Welcome back! My name is Guy Hasson and this is Geek Them Empowers. Geek Them Empowers is the podcast that highlights creators and fans in the geek world who do not often get to be highlighted. It's these people who make up almost all of the geek world. By talking to each person, by hearing their story, Geek Them Empowers creates a huge, giant, world-sized quilt of the geeks all around the world. Each person is a story and together we are one story, one huge Geekverse quilt. Today we're talking to Chinese science fiction author, editor and researcher Regina Kanye Wang. She will talk about the Chinese science fiction scene, her own writing, the rise of female Chinese authors and a lot more. So let's listen to the interview with Regina Kanye Wang. Yeah, my, my name is Regina Kanyu Wang. Oh, so, Regina is fine. <laughs> and uh, your name is pronounced as Guy Hassan? Guy Hassan, yes. Uh, Guy Hassan. Hassan. If you have her, then it's Hassan. Hassan. <laughs> it's, okay. okay. The, the, uh, it's originally a Turkish uh, last name. I see. For my grandfather. But, mm, but you are now living in Israel. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm. The Jews came, like, oh, about a hundred years ago. The Jews came uh, to Israel from all across the world, like the yeah, cast yeah, away yeah, yeah. two thousand years ago, and then coming back from different countries. So I'm, I'm a blend of Turkish Jews and Polish Jews and Russian Jews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All types. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's, by the way, it's interesting that in Israel, at least when I grew up, everyone came from abroad, so everyone had an accent. So Israel has used to have a very uh, high tolerance for accents because every person had a different accent. Ah. And I wonder how that is in uh, China, where you have various dialects, right, from different places. Yeah, 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 yeah. We have many dialects, and I also know that uh, there were many Jews, Jews in um, Shanghai. Um, like uh, they have been um, like protected here <laughs> during the mm-hmm. war for 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 some years. Yeah. 
during like World War II? Yeah, I think so. Like the, I, I think there are some areas in Shanghai um, where a like many Jews like re reside, um, and there are still some like places like museums or things like that. No, I didn't know that. Anyway, <laughs> we're here to talk about science fiction and fantasy. Yes. So yes, yes. Can you tell, give us a little bit of background about yourself? Sure. Where do you come from? What's your origin story? Yeah, sure. So my name is uh, Regina Kang Wang, and uh, I come from Shanghai, uh, which is my hometown. And also, like, I have been living here for 30 years before I uh, moved to Oslo by the end of last year to do my PhD at the University of Oslo uh, under the Co-Futures Project. Um, so now my um, I'm a PhD fellow of Co-Futures uh, working on contemporary Chinese science fiction. Um, I myself am also a science fiction writer. Um, also I have been like organizing science fiction events and uh, building connections um, between the Chinese and international fandom since um, like 12 years ago or something like that. So yeah, I've been like a science fiction fan and writer and now a researcher for a, more than a third of my life for now. So it's uh, really like every everything in my life is almost uh, occupied by science fiction in this way wow. or that way. <laughs> how, how did you get into science fiction? Like, like what kind of science fiction fantasy was available when you were a kid? And when did you mm -hmm. get Yeah, I remember that when I was in primary school, um, I read all kinds of um, stories. And also I watch uh, cartoon and play games. Like we, we have many like Japanese cartoons and uh, manga and also like games here. Um, and then uh, I like science fiction at that time was only like one kind of stories that I like. And I also like like, Japanese science fiction cartoons, but uh, they were not like put under the science fiction umbrella, but they are were like considered as cartoon and manga. Um, it was not until I entered a uh, university and joined the, the university science fiction club uh, that I found, oh, there are actually like many people who shared a similar interest with me, uh, science fiction and fantasy, uh, speculative fiction in general. Um, so I started to read more science fiction uh, since then. Be before that, I think I'm more like into um, animation and uh, manga and the game, but in a, like fantastic, um, with fantastic elements. So it's in university that I started to read more science fiction, like both classics from the West, uh, like Asimov and Clark, and also like um, Chinese science fiction, uh, like uh, Liu Zixing and uh, Chen Chufan and Xia Jia, um, those big names. Stop there, stop there. Let's, because I assume most of my audience is English speaking and not from China. So, and I certainly don't know those names. So tell me a little bit about each of them and what they did. Yes, of course. Um, so Liu Zixing is the writer of the Three Body Problem. Um, and, and the Three-Body Trilogy and uh, many other stories. So the Three-Body Problem won the Hugo Award um, as the best novel in 2015. Okay. So it was a like global phenomenon 
um, for uh, people who start to look at uh, Chinese science fiction. Uh, even like uh, Obama and Zuckerberg, they were fans of that book. Uh, so um, it was like the most uh, popular and important works in contemporary Chinese science fiction. Um, when, and, did it, when was it published in China? Um, I think it's around in 2007 or something. I can't oh, remember yeah. the exact years because it's a first serialized in science fiction world, which is the largest science fiction magazine in China. And then published in books, in three books. So I think the last book come out around 2008 or nine or 10 or something, but it's like around that time. Um, the, it was translated into English in 2014. Uh, so the first book was published in English and then won the Hugo next year in 2015. Um, as for Chen Qiufan, he is uh, the writer of The Waste Tide, uh, which is also translated into English. And he has recently published a book with uh, Dr. Kai-Fu Li, um, the, like, um, on artificial intelligence. It's called AI 2049, imagining um, what will happen um, in our like, near future uh, regarding our uh, relationship with artificial intelligence. I haven't read that book yet, um, but uh, because it's just released last month, but Waste Tide was about the electronic waste um, disassembling. Um, I, I remember that he said uh, he visited a small island near his hometown, um, which is the largest uh, area doing the electronic disassembling all over the world. So like uh, the um, computers or mobile phones, they were all transported to that island. Um, and the, it's all those um, migrant workers who are doing the work without any protection. So he wrote a story about uh, um, this situation and added science fiction elements like cyborg um, and also like, like some revolution of the migrant workers. Um, it's about this um, uh, environmental concern and the global capitalism. Um, so as for Xiaoda, she is a um, science fiction author, uh, but also a scholar. And uh, she has uh, recently published an uh, um, English uh, collection uh, of four of her own stories called A Summer Beyond Your Reach. So she is working on this uh, series of stories uh, interrelated with each other uh, that she has given, given the name of uh, the, the, the Chinese Encyclopedia or Cynopedia. Um, so in this series of short stories, she is writing about the ordinary people's life in near future China. So instead of writing about uh, those large scale imagination about the universe or like the revolution of uh, cyborgs or artificial intelligence, uh, she is writing about how those techniques has changed our life um, at a daily level. So mm, I really enjoyed all their stories. Okay, that's amazing. Okay, and uh, I remember like 12, um, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, 
Lavitidha published his uh, first story in Chinese. He was so excited. So many people are going to read it on a scale I've never seen before. Um, just because the numbers are so different uh, in China. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the magazine? Mm -hmm. Yes, sure. Yeah, I, I know Levy, and he visited science fiction world, I think, when uh, he did a travel to China. And uh, science fiction world was the largest science fiction magazine in China. And for a very long time, it was the only science fiction in China. Um, he, it has, uh, like, at peak level, I think it has um, almost, uh, um, like, to say that um, 200,000 copies or something like that uh, circulation <laughs> because of the popularity of um, the three body problem. Basically, like the three body problem and the Liu Cixin has um, raised huge attention to science fiction in China. Um, so, because of this popularity of um, this particular book and particular author, um, more and more um, magazines are. Um, publishing science fiction now. So there are now at least uh, three or four magazines dedicated to publishing, uh, to publish only science fiction in China. And also like dozens of others magazine, other magazines like a mainstream literature magazine or even fashion magazine who have uh, also published uh, science fiction. So like the market has grown larger and also the style has grown more diverse um, because in the past, science fiction world has, um, that it, it's the only magazine. So it has um, its own taste, um, interested in more like, um, let's say golden age style science fiction. Uh, but now there are all, all those various um, styles of science fiction being published in China. Hmm. Okay. So let's go back to your story. So you were at the university. I just needed some background about uh, you suddenly, you found UMO books and what mm -hmm. happened? Yeah, so in the university, I think that's before, before the three body, well, the three body problem was, was just became popular inside the science fiction community, but it mm -hmm. was not popular outside of the circle. So like in, my time at the university, science fiction was still a very like small genre and uh, not that many people interested in science fiction. Um, and uh, I was organizing uh, like uh, science fiction events on campus um, because at that time, the science fiction societies at the university are um, uh, small, <laughs> like the, the, we only have a couple of active members at our own university. So we want to do something together with other universities. Um, so we formed a, like a university science fiction association in China, uh, in Shanghai. Um, it's called Apple Core. And uh, together we organized a Shanghai Science Fiction and Fantasy Festival, uh, inviting different writers uh, to come to our campus uh, giving lectures and uh, um, doing workshops or all those different uh, um, activities. And uh, through that, I managed uh, to uh, know more fans and also more authors uh, in the community. 
And uh, then in 2013, uh, I managed to travel to Finland uh, and attend the FinCom, which is the Finnish science fiction convention. So it was the first time uh, I going uh, I, I went abroad uh, alone and to participate in science fiction events. Um, I was stu a student at that time. So I wrote to the uh, Finnish fans um, that I know. I only know like a couple of them. And through them, I managed uh, to um, uh, have the connection with uh, science fiction fans um, all over the Nordic countries and also Baltic countries. So I traveled around uh, after the convention and did some coach surfing um, in each uh, different country at uh, those science fiction fans' home who I had never met before. Uh, but because they are all science fiction fans and they know each other like one by one, so it's like uh, they they say, "Well, well, you uh, you are a fan, so fandom is." A Family, it's fine. You just stay at our place, and they treated me very well. So it's um, at that time that I think I had a life-changing trip, um, because then I feel like, oh, this community is so nice, and uh, those fans are really like treating me as family. Um, I, I felt uh, felt so honored and felt so like. Um, happy about this uh, travel. Um, so after coming back to China, um, I also try to like introduce um, more between like the Chinese fandom and the international fandom to build more connections. Um, nowadays, of course, it's kind of like a little harder now because like of the pandemic, the travel is so hard. Um, but previously, I also initiated uh, some fan fund to support Chinese fans um, going to Worldcons to meet uh, the international fandom and uh, support uh, like the international fans um, to come to China and merge with uh, Chinese fandom. Um, but now, like the pandemic has changed anything, which is unfortunate, but. Uh, Let's see. Let, let's wait for the world to open again. Yeah. And I got to you through Francesco uh, Verso, who was the previous guest on the show. And can you talk a little bit about your cooperation with him? How did you find him and what happened then? Yes, of course. Um, I remember that I first met Francesco in 2016 at the European Science Fiction Convention. Uh, Eurocon in Barcelona. Um, so he was um, just published, uh, he has just published an anthology of Chinese science fiction, um, both in Italian and uh, Chinese. So it's a mm -hmm. bilingual anthology. And uh, he did this all because of his enthusiasm towards science fiction. Um, because who's going to like pay for that. He, he has invested his own energy and money to do the project. So he was looking for support. And uh, I talked with the company I was working for called Storycom, uh, which is a startup doing uh, science fiction movie adaptation in China. And uh, we supported um, part of the translation fee uh, for the book. 
And then Francesco published the second one, the second one, uh, uh, the sec second one, and the third one. And uh, then he continued the, this project for a series of years, this um, bilingual anthology of Chinese science fiction. Uh, meanwhile, he has also uh, published um, some other, uh, like uh, he has also published individual books of Chinese science fiction authors. Like he has also published my own novella, uh, Cloud and the Mist uh, in Italian and Chinese. Um, I, I, I remember he has also published the anthology of Mu Ming, which is uh, author I like a lot. She is living in New York, but she is Chinese. Uh, she is a, a programmer at Google. So she, she writes very good story about uh, um, brain and cognition and artificial intelligence and etc. Um, I think it's through this um, publication of Chinese science fiction story, uh, Francesco has actually opened a window for the communication between Chinese and the uh, uh, Italian um, fandom. Um, I remember that he said that um, bef before uh, before he started doing the project, um, many students at the Italian universities who are majored in Chinese, um, they when they are writing their uh, graduation thesis or doing translation works, they can only uh, work on like realistic stories, which is kind of boring to them. Uh, but with uh, Chinese science fiction, they managed to have more choices and suddenly more and more people want to translate Chinese science fiction into Italian um, because it's more fun. And then more universities are doing such a kind of project. And also he has um, some relationship uh, or collaboration with Confucius Institute, uh, inviting science fiction authors or scholars from China to travel to Italy and give talks and introduce um, people, all those different contents. It's like a modern Silk Road, uh, but uh, we are transporting science fiction instead of Silk. Mm -hmm. uh, can you talk a little bit about your, uh, your writing? And how did you start writing yourself and what are you writing? Yes, of course. Um, so I actually started to write uh, during my years at creative writing program um, of the uh, of, of the Fudan, of Fudan University. So originally, I was thinking of um, doing a master on science fiction research, uh, but because my undergraduate degree was in business administration, uh, they told me that um, we already have many students from Chinese literature who want to uh, go into uh, the master program, you're from business school of management. Um, maybe we can't take you. Um, so I was very depressed and go to their office every day. And later on they say, um, yeah, but we have this newly opened creative writing program. It's just uh, uh, the third year. So um, not that many people are in registering for this program. So maybe you can come to this program. So I said, yes, um, maybe I can't be a science fiction researcher, but I can be a science fiction writer. So mm -hmm. I started to write uh, after I am en enrolled in this program. Um, 
but I really learned a lot um, during this two year at this uh, creative writing uh, MFA program um, because before that I have never thought that I can be a science fiction writer. Um, it's so hard, <laughs> but after write, writing my first uh, stories, it's a uh, cloud and mist. Uh, this particular novella that has been published uh, in Italy. Um, this was my first piece of works um, that I finished. And uh, it's about like 50,000 characters in Chinese. Um, because in my, pro uh, in my creative writing program, um, the teachers are more from mainstream literature. So when I wrote the story, my aim was to write a science fiction story that can be appreciated by the mainstream literature <laughs> writers and scholars. And um, after I finished the story- but How did finished, that go? How did that go? I, I think they liked it. They liked yes. it. And it was also published uh, in uh, mainstream literature magazine and uh, also won, won the Chinese Nebula Award uh, later on. And uh, Francesco also published. Wow. I, I think it's wow. a good result. So I'm happy yeah, with yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Wait, let me ask so you I think, a question. Is 30,000 characters in Chinese, that's like 30,000 words? Uh, no, 50,000 50, uh, 50, Chinese characters. I think it's about uh, uh, 30,000 30, uh, in, in English uh, around that. Okay. Mm -hmm. I just wanted a scale. Okay. Yeah. So that was your first story. That's amazing. Yeah, that's my first story and also the longest piece that I've ever written. <laughs> And what else, what, what more did you write? Like what kind of things do you like to write? Mm, now I, I write more short stories these days. Uh, I want to write a novel, but it needs continuous efforts uh, in a series of days. So it's hard to uh, write a novel when I'm traveling a lot in 2019. And then in 2020, I couldn't write anything because of the pandemic and the change of life and things like that. I couldn't write anything. So I'm writing more short stories these days. Um, I write both in English and the Chinese. Um, in, when writing in Chinese, I focus more on um, human, um, like more anthrop anthropocentric, let's say. I focus more on the human emotions and how technology can change um, humans' um, emotion and how their communication with others. Um, but when I write in English, I found myself have a more a non-human perspective, uh, maybe because English is not my first language. So I feel like I myself am a alien uh, when writing in English. So I choose those uh, like non-human perspective unconsciously. It was until that I finished those stories uh, that I figured out why am I always using a non-human protagonist when writing in English, but it's a fun process because I managed to uh, play with a different voice um, when writing in English. It's all like um, experimental writing. It's interesting. Could, could it also be about the fact that since, uh, you know, you know what it's like to live in China, but if you're writing in English, it's assumed that you're writing about people who live in the United States or in England and, uh, you know, the UK. And maybe you didn't feel you could portray that 100% uh, 
honestly, so maybe you did something that's more alien. Is that also possible? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's possible. And also I feel like um, I'm not that confident in like poetry um, human in yeah. English because like you can have so like complicated and subtle feelings. Um, it's just hard to write, but when you are having a non-human protagonist, you can play around um, because you have that weirdness in it anyway. It's interesting. Okay, so um, and how do you have any responses from the uh, English-speaking world? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I have published, uh, um, I think, several stories. Uh, three stories in, in the English world that was written directly in English. And uh, I have also some other stories translated into English and published in, for example, Clark's World mm -hmm. or anthologies like uh, Broken Stars or um, Where the Stars Rise From. So um, I have got some feedbacks from uh, readers who read my stories in English. Um, I think like, I, I feel so happy when they told me that I like your story uh, because I'm not so confident uh, in my own writing. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm afraid that, oh, people will like me because, uh, because my contribution to the fandom, not because I'm writing good stories. But sometimes I will receive messages from Facebook or Twitter who are complete strangers, uh, I don't know. So they say, oh, I appreciate your work. I like your writing. So it's like, a, it's very, uh, it's a lot of encouragement to me. So I, I, I really appreciate that, appreciate that. Nice. Uh, can you talk a little bit about like, I assume that over the last 10 years, like from what I'm getting for you, there's been more and more uh, Chinese writers and authors writing in uh, fantasy and science fiction. Is that right? Yeah. And can you yeah. talk a little bit about the new voices? Like what's happening? What do they talk about? Who are they? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure, definitely. Um, I think one of the um, particular uh, phenomena that is uh, taking place in Chinese science fiction now is uh, the attention towards uh, women writers. Um, because previously, when we talk about uh, representatives of Chinese science fiction, we will always have uh, names of the male authors uh, like Liu Cixin and Chen Chufan I mentioned before. Uh, their writing is great. Um, but uh, uh, when we talk about uh, women writers, we can only mention a few, like uh, Xia Jia is one of I have talked about before, and also Hao Jingfang is another one, um, because Hao Jingfang has won another Hugo because of the um, folding Beijing. Mm, but these years, uh, because there are more discussion about gender in general in Chinese uh, society, uh, so people have paid more attention to women who write science fiction. Uh, for example, uh, in this year uh, and the next year, there will be uh, at least uh, three different anthologies focusing on women um, authors writing science fiction uh, or fantasy. Um, previously, no one has ever done that because people will think, oh, um, 
writing science fiction, you don't need to care about the writer's gender. Um, but as a result, we will see many of the science fiction stories uh, will feature a male protagonist and the male pers perspective. Um, the, in many occasions, the female characters are just uh, functional, um, yeah. as you can imagine in many of the old science fiction stories. Um, and you, if you look at those um, anthologies, like Annu Best or some like scene anthologies, uh, you won't notice that all those authors or like 90% of those authors are all men. No one has ever pointed out that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I think like because of this um, particular attention uh, on gender nowadays and uh, the publication of those uh, all women anthologies, people have more and more awareness about the gender balance. Um, I'm not trying to say that um, like there is a like who is writing better story or there is like particular difference between men and women writing science fiction. Um, but when we like think about those names and those stories who uh, we appreciate, um, those uh, women authors and their stories are also worth um, being um, read and being mentioned. Uh, so when I am doing my own PhD project, I try to focus on um, stories written by women authors. Uh, it's not that uh, men, uh, male authors don't have um, good stories that I want to analyze. I also enjoy their stories a lot that I want to analyze, but they have been discussed and researched a lot by other scholars, uh, while many good female authors who have um, never been mentioned in those scholarly works. So like during my own work, I'm just uh, trying to focus on those uh, women authors more. Are the, like, can you mention a few specific ones? Uh, yeah. Maybe the listener, like if, if they've ever been translated to English, but also no, those who yeah. haven't been translated and that we can only find them in Chinese. Ah, only in Chinese. Um, let me think about, um, because we, uh, like many of them are going to be translated into English uh, in the anthology that I am editing, it, uh, which is going to be published the next year uh, with Tor. Uh, it's called The Way Spring Arrives and Other Stories. I think in that anthology, we have translated um, over a dozen uh, of female writers into English. And uh, quite a number of them have ne never been public, uh, have never been translated into what English. Kind of, what, what kind of stories are they doing? Like, um, in, that, in that anthology, we include both science fiction and the fantasy and also like more uh, magical realism stories. So mm -hmm. it's speculative fiction in general. Um, for example, the title story, The Way Spring Arrives, actually combines science fiction and uh, Chinese mythology. So it's hard to define it. Is it science fiction or is it fantasy? Uh, it uses elements of Chinese mythology, but it's also like try to give scientific um, explanation on certain phenomenons taking place in the nature, like how the spring comes. So it's very interesting to read those stories. And uh, some other stories, uh, they are like um, fantasy, like completely fantasy, um, like um, take, um, taking the 
elements from traditional Chinese ghost stories into the into their writing. Um, yeah, they they are not all about gender, but they are. I I'd say they are all very Chinese um, because they they are representing the Chinese culture in one way or another, either by using the Chinese mythology or uh, history or by like focusing on like uh, the life in contemporary China or near future China. Um, so I'd say it's a just a, a story collection focusing on the imagination of, uh, of Chinese uh, female speculative authors, but not particularly on gender. Okay, and let me, I wanted to specifically ask you about the mythology because China has as part of its history, one of the oldest uh, mythologies, like it goes back, I think more than 5,000 uh, years, uh, where the myth blends into history back when we couldn't actually write things down. Uh, how much of that figures into uh, some of the stories today? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's a very interesting that these years, I see more and more, th more, and more authors um, publicly um, state that they want to go back to the Chinese history and the mythology and uh, try to put them into their own writing. Uh, because you know, science fiction itself uh, comes from the West um, during the early uh, 20th century, during the colonial period. Uh, it spread all over the world uh, with this um, certain kind of imagination about um, modernization. So at that time, it's a like some product from the West. So um, for a very long time, um, when we write science fiction, we kind of um, follow the format of Western science fiction or Soviet Union, former Soviet Union science fiction, because China has got huge influence from former Soviet Union as well. And uh, we use like Western names for the characters and Western backgrounds. Um, but there are always writers who try to uh, figure out um, the Chinese-ness of Chinese science fiction. And uh, these years, um, the tendency is that more writers who are like particularly looking back into the Chinese history and the mythology to look for resources, um, because we have a different um, mindset. It's not like that we have been educated about all those ancient mythology or ancient um, philosophy in system. Um, we got those information in fragments. Uh, we were know those mythology stories when we were kids, and uh, we were uh, learn about uh, these uh, philosophical thinking in um, every aspect of our lives. But it's never a course in school. Um, nowadays, um, we after like um, realizing that uh, we can no longer. Uh, only learn from the West and only uh, go through the development, um, go through the past that America has gone. Um, more writers and more intellectuals have particularly go back to the ancient Chinese um, philosophy and the uh, history for their, um, how to say that, 
for, for, for enlightenment. <laughs> so it, it's very interesting that to see more and more authors have um, put Chinese mythology into their writing. Before that, they may do it unconsciously, um, but these days I'd say more of them are doing it um, on purpose uh, to particularly try to combine the Chinese mythology and the Western science fiction. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's like there's a growing percentage of um, taking advantage of those ancient mythologies, I'd say. What exactly are you researching? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am actually researching on the, uh, particularly on gender and the environmental perspective in Chinese science fiction. So um, now I have just uh, returned to China to do my field work. Um, I try to look at how gender and the environment uh, interact with each other and they influence each other. Uh, in the women writers uh, writing in Chinese science fiction. So now um, during my field work, I will conduct a series of interviews uh, with a women writers, editors, um, entrepreneurs and fans um, to talk with them about their imagination of the future and their um, thoughts on gender and environment in general. Um, I think it's because uh, in the Co-Futures project, we are looking at non-anglophone science fiction in general. So um, we are looking at how the global challenges, uh, in, which include climate change, uh, technology change, and the demographic change um, can be adapted and uh, treated in different cultures. Uh, so my area is in Chinese science fiction, and uh, some of my other colleagues are looking at um, Latin American science fiction and the futurism, or African science fiction uh, and futurism, and uh, we try to gather together all those um, different, uh, how those different cultures react to our global challenge, and uh, try to figure out um, a way how we can better um, react to those uh, crises and try to maybe find a pathway to the future uh, uh, through the present. Interesting. Is there, like, before we finish, is there something you uh, want to mention that we didn't go over? Um. I don't think so. I, I can send you some names that you may be interested in talking about. Yes, yes, definitely. So thank you very much, Regina. Uh, thank you. It's a great to talk us. with you. Thank you so much to Regina. Let me tell you, the more episodes we do, the more I feel this podcast gives us a completely different perspective on the geek world, and in this case, science fiction in particular. Cristina Jurado and Francesco Verso talked about how science fiction looks in countries in which it is new, or relatively new, in previous episodes. Donald Peckin in another episode, talked about the inherent racism of the English-speaking science fiction fantasy world, and how it blockaded itself against international science fiction and fantasy authors in general, and African ones in particular. Today, we got the perspective, which was hinted at before by Christina, what it means that science fiction is a Western invention. Anyway, 
My point is, I'm really proud of the wider view Gideon and Powers offers. And we're only on episode uh, 35. We've only covered a few countries, and I do mean to cover all the countries many times, and to cover all forms of creativity, including many we haven't even done yet. There are so many. Many forms of fandom, there are so many. Many forms of job within the geek world, so many. I have so many plans, so many people to talk to, that even with three episodes a week, this is a job I'll never finish. But the more I do it, the bigger the quint. And I'm really proud of it. If you want to find Regina, uh, we have, I have the, uh, her Twitter is Regina underscore Kanyu, K-A-N-E-Y-U. And her Twitter link and the Center for Science and the Imagination link is uh, in the show notes. Now, next time, because as you can see, there will always be a next time. We will go back to Spain to meet a new person with a new type of job who will be a new geek in a huge quilt. So, what did you think of this episode? Email me at guy.hasson at geekdominpowers.com. Hasson is spelled H-A-S-S-O-N. The website is geekdominpowers.com on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We're at geekdominpowers. My name is Guy Hasson, and if you want to check out my other podcast, The Squash Buckley Diaries, which is an experiment in epic fantasy, unlike anything you've ever seen, feel free to check it out. The Squash Buckley Diaries. I will see you next time, and for now, have an empowered day.